Welcome to the Sunday School lesson from Joelton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills. It's good to be with you today. We are continuing our series of lessons from Thessalonians. Today's lesson is actually taken from June 27th in the Nazarene Quarterly, and our title of the lesson is Being Sanctified. The text we'll be using is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, We will be looking at verses 12 through 24. But before we get into the lesson, let's begin with a word of prayer. I want us to pray together Paul's prayer for the Philippians. This is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Our key verse today, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our theme from Paul today is, God is faithful to sanctify His people through and through. I don't know if you're aware of it, but next month in July, the Summer Olympics will begin in Japan. There will be hundreds of athletes from all around the world competing in many, many different events. One of those events that almost everyone watches, at least part of, is gymnastics. It's amazing to see these athletes As they defy gravity, they twist, they turn, we see their physical strength and agility, and it really is. It's amazing to watch. Gymnastics are a little different from other sports, however. The the athletes aren't really competing against each other. It's not like a race when you're running against the guy next to you. Instead, gymnasts are competing against a standard. There's a standard of perfection for each event, and they are competing to see how closely they can match that standard. And they have a series of judges who will rate them on how close to perfection they get. As Christians, we face a similar evaluation. The standard by which we measure ourselves, it's not whether we live more righteously than our neighbor, but the standard is How well does our righteousness match that of a holy God? Jesus commands us in Matthew 5, 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And many of us will downplay this command of Jesus. We think to ourselves, surely Jesus can't really mean that. And so we tend to to take all of the meaning out of it. But Paul wants us to know God is serious when he calls us to be sanctified, to be holy and blameless in his sight. When we hear this word sanctification, we know that it's an integral part of who we are as Nazarenes. It's one of our core beliefs, but it's one that involves a lot of controversy. Many people, even in the Nazarene church, we, we see sanctification as one of those topics that's very difficult to understand and that may be very difficult to live out. The promise of sanctification 
makes a full and abundant life possible for us. It makes it possible to live the life that Christ promised. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So sanctification is God's way of providing this full, abundant life for us. And when you look at what kind of life we are promised in Scripture, it really is amazing. It's a life where we can be content, where we can be joyful, where we can be grateful, a life where we can rejoice. You know, Paul describes a life of contentment. Uh, He writes in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, when Paul says that, you have to take it seriously because we know the situations that Paul went through. And so Paul is telling us we can have a type of life where it doesn't matter what our outward circumstances are. We can be content in Christ. In other places, Paul says, Rejoice. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, this kind of life seems almost too good to be true. A life where we can consider it pure joy when we suffer. A life where even a slave can be content and fulfilled. You know, it's amazing to me that in many of the epistles, there are instructions written to slaves to tell them, even though you're a slave, God has an experience for you where you can live out an abundant life where you can serve Christ as you serve your master. And so I can't think of a life that that would be hardly any worse than being a slave. And yet, even in this type of life, God gives us the promise of a full and abundant life. So we can see what's made available to us through sanctification. Our problem is we have often made sanctification into a system of rules. Uh, The sanctified life we've made into a life that's defined by what we don't do, a life that's defined by deprivation. We don't use alcohol. We don't use tobacco. We avoid certain entertainments. We don't use certain language. We dress in a certain way. But sanctification really is about freedom. It's freedom to be the one that Christ created us to be. Ed Stetzer has a quote where he says, The death of self and submission to Christ is not a sad end to an otherwise great life. It's a huge gasp of air after living underwater. Now, most of us have have been swimming. We know what it's like to have to hold your breath and then to come up for air and to take a great big gulp of air and how wonderful that feels. This is what happens when we are sanctified, when we give up ourselves and we allow the Spirit to have full control in our lives. Now, when we talk about sanctification, we can get a lot of different ideas about it. But basically, sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ. 
It's becoming like a holy God. And since we've never seen God himself, but we have seen Christ, it's the process of shaping our lives to be like Christ. Christ, the image of the invisible God. So, sanctification is the Holy Spirit working in us to make us Christ-like. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. And then, in Romans 8.29, Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So, sanctification is this process of becoming Christ-like. And it is a process. It's not an act that's over and done at one point in time. Sanctification begins when we partake of this new life in Christ. And it ends at a point we really don't know. We don't know if sanctification will continue into heaven or not. You know, we know that throughout this life we will grow to become more Christ-like. And it's conceivable that even throughout eternity we will grow to become more and more like Christ. So really, this is an indefinite, infinite process. Now, it is marked by several touchstones or several significant events along the way. As we've said, our sanctification, our process of becoming like Christ, begins when we are justified, when we are forgiven of our sins, when we are made new creatures in Christ, when we're born again. We often refer to this as the first work of grace. It also is marked by a time and experience in our life when we undergo entire sanctification, a point at which our entire selves are consecrated to God and in which the Spirit purifies our heart to give us a love of God that is completely pure, to where we love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And this process will continue until our eventual glorification, the time when our life on this earth ends and we inherit a new body, a new self in Christ. So, after justification, we are made into new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And then, after entire sanctification, we have Christian perfection, a perfect love for God, which doesn't mean that we're sinless, doesn't mean that we're never tempted, doesn't mean that we may never display unchristlike attitudes, but it means that our motives have been purified. And then after glorification, we are with Christ in our new resurrected bodies. We have become like Christ. 1 John 3:23, beloved, or 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. So, this process of maturing in Christ, this is the process of sanctification. And we need to understand, it's a highly personal process. It's an individualized process. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And your experience in sanctification is not going to match your neighbor 
because you start in a different place, you have different uh, experiences, you have all kinds of things that make you who you are in Christ. And Christ works with you in your experience, in your situation, to make you like himself. So we have to be careful that we don't take uh, someone else's experience of sanctification and try to make it our own. Our experience will be different as God works with us. So, as we look into this section of Scripture, you know, we, we find Paul talking about being made blameless. And a lot of times, these biblical commands, they, they kind of bother us. We look at what Jesus said back in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we tend to dismiss these. We don't take them seriously. We think to ourselves, surely God could not expect perfection of me. But in a very real sense, he does. And even though we may have a hard time believing this type of life is possible, Paul wants us to know it is very possible. We can be blameless in Christ. We can be holy in God's sight. Paul writes here in Thessalonians, The one who called you is faithful, and he will do it. So Paul wants us to be confident. Our sanctification can be a reality. This is not an empty promise. In this fifth chapter of Thessalonians, Paul describes three avenues, three sources that God uses to sanctify us, to make us holy and blameless in His sight. First of all, God sanctifies us through our fellowship with the other believers. So, we are actually used by the Spirit to push each other toward holiness, toward the perfection that God promises us. Secondly, God sanctifies us by transforming our experience of day-to-day life by providing us with a a new worldview, a way of focusing on an abiding life in the Spirit. And then finally, God sanctifies us through our cooperation with the ongoing work and witness of the Spirit in our lives. In all of these ways, God is working. God is there to sanctify us through and through, to make us blameless in His sight. So let's look at this first mechanism that God uses. God is using each of us to help sanctify our fellow believers. So I am sanctified, of course, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it is the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit will often work through other believers. Together, we as the church form the body of Christ. And each member of this body contributes to the health of the entire body. Together, we are made holy in God's sight. In Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, Paul writes, In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So Paul is describing here the church as a building and not just any building but the, the, the temple of God himself, a dwelling in which God lives. And so just as God lives in each one of us individually, God also lives in our corporate existence as together 
we become this building, this dwelling in which God lives. Now, there's a clear link in Scripture between our love for each other and our love for God. Our love for God is perfected, it's strengthened in our love for each other. The two cannot be separated. In 1 John, we're given several verses that show us this. 1 John 1, 9, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. So John here draws a close connection between our fellowship with each other, our walking in the light, and our purification. In 1 John 4, 12, John writes, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. So God's love is made complete in us as we love one another. And then later on, John says, Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. So John is clearly showing a connection here, a link between our love for God and our love for each other. The two go hand in hand. And it's not just the idea that if we love God, we are also expected to love our neighbor. But as we love our neighbor, as we live out a life of love, we are actually becoming to love the Father more and more. Our love for the Father is strengthened. It's deepened. So God's love is made complete in us as we love one another. Now, our fellowship with other Christians is an agent, a mechanism of God's sanctifying power. One of those ways that God uses to sanctify us. In 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul writes, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, Paul is saying, flee all of these things, but not on your own. You are fleeing them along with those others who call on the Lord. So, we are fleeing them together as a church. And later in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So we can see the effect of living together and the effect that it has to sanctify us. Now, in this series of Scripture, Paul gives us some specific directions. He writes, live in peace with each other. We are called to be peacemakers. Peace is to be the hallmark of our community as Christians. It's one of those fruits of the Spirit. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus writes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So, it's peacemakers who earn this title. This is how we come into our identity as, as God's children. It's how we imitate the Father, uh, is by being peacemakers. Now, notice, we are called to be peacemakers. This implies this is an active process on our part. We have to take proactive steps. This is something that we must put effort into. Now, there are lots of things that can keep us from having peace, from living in peace. But there are steps that we can take. First, there has to be a willingness to yield our place, to yield our rights, 
to overlook what others may be doing to us, to overlook times when we may not be treated right. 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Nevada Barr is an author that I like to read. She writes a series of, of mystery novels where the, the protagonist is a park ranger. And this is from her real life. In her life, she was a park ranger for a number of years. But she also wrote a book about Christian living. And she talked about how in one training session as a park ranger, they were asked by the sheriff who was leading the session, what do you do when someone gives you resistance, when you have to deal with someone and they are pushing back? And there was one young officer there who responded, he doesn't take anything from anybody. If, someone, if somebody pushes back at him, he pushes back immediately, takes action. The sheriff then tells him, as a law enforcement officer, it's your job to take it. Punks smart mouth you, drunks vomit on you, ladies spit at you because you wrote them a ticket, you take it. Taking it is what you do. You better get good at it. And then Nevada Bar goes on to write, really, this is the job description of a Christian. As a Christian, our job often is to take it. When other people mess with us, when they infringe upon my rights, when they thwart my desires, when they irritate, annoy, aggravate, discombobulate me, all of this uh, when they, when they mess with me every day, it's our job as Christians, as peacemakers, to overlook this. Love covers a multitude of sins. And along with that, there's great value. Richard Foster writes, there is a great freedom that comes with submission. He writes, it's the freedom to lay down the burden of always needing to get our own way. The obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go, this obsession is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. And you think about that, how often we will spend so much of our time in, in a, as Foster writes, a perpetual stew because we don't get our way, because things don't go the way we want them. When we can give this up, when we can allow other people to mess with us and not have to maintain our place, this is a great freedom. And this is what Paul is telling us. You're going to have to be a peacemaker. And there are two other very practical ways for us to live at peace. One is to follow the advice given in Titus 3.2. Paul writes, Tell them not to speak evil of anyone, but to live in peace with others. So, we have to learn to control our tongues if we are going to be peacemakers. James describes the tongue as a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, a restless evil, full of deadly poison, set on fire by the fires of hell. It's hard to imagine a, a more uh, awful description of something. But how many of us really take this warning seriously? 
How many of us really stop to consider how we use our tongues? And what would happen if we take the command to not speak evil of anyone, if we take that literally and strive to make that a reality? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes, Do all you can to live a peaceful life. Mind your own business. And this is one of the keys to being a peacemaker, minding our own business, not stirring up trouble, not getting involved in issues that don't concern us. Proverbs 26, 17, Like one who takes a dog by the ears, is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. Now, we know the outcome of taking a dog by the ears, and we also know the outcome of meddling in affairs that are none of our concern. So, before we get involved, before we begin to offer advice, we need to stop and ask ourselves, do we really need to be involved? And that will go a long way toward making us a peacemaker. However, Being peacemakers does not mean that we let sin slide. We are to hold each other accountable. Paul writes here, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. We need to be willing and able to rebuke one another when the situation calls for it. We are to speak the truth to each other. We as a church do not do anyone any favors when we overlook things that need to be dealt with. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul writes, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. So, we are to speak the truth in love. And we have to admit, many times we as the church do not do a good job of this. We aren't willing to confront one another, to hold each other accountable. It's interesting, there was a survey taken of Protestant pastors. 55% of Protestant pastors said they had never seen a church member formally disciplined. And so we have to ask ourselves, why don't we see this more often? But to do it properly, we have to pay attention to two important words in this command. First, we speak the truth. We don't say what isn't true. And the problem is not usually that we are telling things we know not to be true, but we might speak out about things that aren't true and we just haven't taken the time to know if they're true or not. We may be speaking out about things that we are assuming to be true without bothering to check up on them. And so we must make sure it's true and then we speak in love. We speak with gentleness. James 3.17 tells us the wisdom that is from above is gentle. Uh, It's amazing when you look up this word how many times we are told throughout Scripture to be gentle, to be gentle. Now, Paul also tells us that one way that we sanctify each other is to strengthen one another. He writes, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. We know that there are many things that discourage, that drain our commitment, that that drain away our passion and and our zeal for Christ. And so we are to come alongside each other, to pull one another along, to stir one another up. Ephesians 10, 24, 
and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Now, we're told to consider this. And so the implication is it takes forethought on our part. We need to stop and think through, how can we do this? How can I I be putting this into practice? So what steps can I take to, to stimulate, to stir on another Christian in holy living? We're also told by Paul, be patient with everyone. You know, patience is something that we don't usually uh, do a good job of. It's not something that comes easily to us. You know, when we have to wait, and especially waiting in situations that are uncomfortable, to endure discomfort without complaining about it. But patience is going to be important if we're going to stir one another towards holiness. Now, the second way in which God sanctifies us is by transforming our experience of day-to-day life, by showing us how we can change our worldview so that we experience a completely new dimension of life. Paul writes here of how we can take steps to cultivate an intimacy with God so that Every day, in the ordinary, everyday task of life, we can be sanctified. Uh, There was a 17th century monk by the name of Brother Lawrence who wrote a devotional classic titled Practicing the Presence of God, in which he described how everything we do throughout the day can be part of bringing us into the presence of of God, keeping our lives centered on Christ. Paul here gives us three simple strategies, and these strategies will completely revolutionize our spiritual lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Stephen Cole calls these three impossible commands. You know, these are three very short directives. There's just nine words in all three of these. But if we follow them, they have the potential to truly transform our lives. Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. But how many Christians actually take these commands seriously? When we think about the dangers that face the church, the dangers that face us as Christians. What should we be guarding against? We tend to focus on, you know, things like sexual sins and drunkenness and and, uh, other things like these. But Paul says these three little things can do wonders in transforming your Christian life. You know, if we rejoice, if we pray continually, if we give thanks in everything, and they seem minor to us, but they are incredibly important. Now, most of us see these as kind of practical advice. They're good if we follow them, but they're not essential. It's like all of the advice we get on physical health, you know, things like eat your vegetables, exercise, get plenty of rest. We know these things are beneficial. We don't really think of them as being essential. It's nice to follow them if you can, when you can, but we don't really put a lot of effort into making sure we do them every day. 
And it's the same way with these commands that Paul gives us. Most of us know that our lives would be better if we rejoiced, if we prayed continually, if we gave thanks. And we kind of make a resolution, okay, we're going to do better at these, but we don't really stop and consider them to be true biblical injunctions, where Paul is not saying, do this if you want to, do this when it's uh, pleasing to you or when it fits into your schedule. Paul is saying, do these, period. These should be an essential part of your life. And if we'll make those a part of our lives, it has the effect of sanctifying us. Then Paul also says a third way that God uses to sanctify us is through our cooperation with the ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives. Paul writes here, do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So, we aren't to quench the Spirit or to despise the working of the Spirit in our lives. And we aren't to do this by treating prophecies with contempt. When we are given a prophecy by someone else, by the Spirit, we are to stop and consider it. Now, Paul knew that there would be false prophets out there. And so we aren't to blindly swallow everything we're told, but we are to consider it. We are to, to take it seriously. And if it's going to add to our lives, then we're going to hold on to it. We're to hold on to what is good, and then we reject every kind of evil. And so from all of these instructions that Paul gives, we can become sanctified through the work of our fellow believers. We can stir one another on towards sanctification. We can become sanctified through uh, abiding in Christ in our everyday lives, rejoicing in everything, giving thanks in all circumstances, praying continually. And we can be sanctified as we quench not the Spirit, as we allow the Spirit to continue to work and move and direct in our lives. And so my, my calling to you today is really take this idea of sanctification seriously. Are you allowing God to make you perfect? Scripture tells us that this is his goal, that this is what he wants to do, that he plans to do, that he is fully able to do in our lives if we will cooperate with the process. So as you go through this next week, ask God, to begin or to continue this process of sanctification in your life so that you can be pure and blameless. Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that we've heard this morning. We thank you from this message from Paul about the beautiful salvation that you have prepared for us where we can be pure and blameless in your sight. And we ask, Lord, that you would make it so in your name, amen.